I'm Robin. And I'm Wayne. We're investors at VMG Partners, and we help build iconic consumer brands. Every day, some of the world's most fascinating founders share their stories with us before they've made it. Their highs and lows. Mistakes and triumphs. But always extraordinary results. And now we're sharing these stories with you. This is Unfinished Biz. It took so long because it was such a deep desire that it was also incredibly risky and scary for me to actually like actualize this thing that I wanted so much. On this episode of Unfinished Biz, it's a story of vision, drive, and an unwavering belief in the entrepreneurial dream. Sheena Yatanis, founder and CEO of Kosis Cosmetics, wanted to launch a makeup line since she was a kid. And even in an ever more crowded market when the odds were against her, Sheena never gave up on that goal. I think like George Clooney had an experience like this, like he would go around auditioning for TV shows, like small parts in TV shows. And people were like, oh, whatever. Casting directors like, OK, George, like get out of here until one day he was famous. And then everyone wants to be George Clooney's best friend. So, yes, I've had that experience of like people like shooing us away and that now are like, oh, Kosas, like, can we please have your product? And I'm like, you could have been nice from day one, you know. <laughs> Find out why it's Sheena's mission to fix what's wrong with cosmetics today, how Kosas keeps up as a beauty newcomer that does things differently, and why she holds key business decisions so close to the vest. Unfinished Biz starts now. You know, Wayne, this is an earlier stage story. Um, Sheena's got about 10 people working for her right now, and you know, not too long ago, it was just her. So honestly, I feel like this is going to be a very relatable narrative that founders get. I mean, absolutely. I mean, it just didn't happen overnight. She didn't just start this on, on a whim. It's really mm-hmm. a decade in the making. Mm-hmm. And we had a chance to catch up with Sheena in Los Angeles to hear all about the peaks and valleys in the Kosas Cosmetics journey. I was always an entrepreneur, like on the inside. And I think probably when I was maybe 21 years old, right after I graduated from college, was the first time I admitted to myself that I had entrepreneurial longings. Um, but I didn't really, I didn't actually really start my entrepreneurial journey until I was 32 years old. That's not true. <laughs> 30. Um, but For me, it was tricky because no one in my family was entrepreneurial Mm -hmm. and anything that was really like risky or, you know, anything that was risky, was really frowned upon. Right. And so I was, I was always like taught not to be that way. And so I, I, number one, didn't have anywhere to look. I wasn't like raised in, I wasn't really groomed for this life. Mm -hmm. And I do see a lot of other entrepreneurs in my position who are groomed for this life. And, uh, I didn't have that opportunity. So how did you, how did you know at an early age that you, this was something that you kind of, an itch you had to scratch? I think that's actually a really good way to describe it. It's an itch. Like Mm -hmm. it's a, it's an actual sensation, like a pull, Mm -hmm. like something that made me want to like do like goods in exchange for money. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Goods and services in exchange for money, like as an actual, like deep internal drive. Gotcha. So what, I mean, so was, did you, did you have aspirations for a cosmetic company? How did that all come about? Like why, why cosmetics and what was your background before? Cause you said you, you, not, not until 30, did you decide mm-hmm. to become an entrepreneur? What'd you do before that? 
Well, I went to school for biology and chemistry. I was actually pre-med. So like the least of the riskiest <laughs> jobs you're allowed to yep. have was what I was doing. I was good at science. I still am. Like I, And I think that's why I did it because... I thought that if you're good at something, like you have to do that thing, but I hadn't tried anything else. So I didn't know that there are other opportunities. Cosmetics is a very sensitive subject for me because it was a huge dream. Like when I, I grew up around makeup and I grew up around brands and I grew up around the time that there were all the like prestige brands, like the Chanel, Estee Lauder, Lancome, but then Mac came into existence and I was like, the level of like how badly I wanted to do that, like is inexplicable. (laughs) So for me to actually do it, it took so, it took so long because it was such a deep desire that it was also incredibly risky and scary for me to actually like actualize this thing that I wanted so much that if it didn't go right, like my life would be ruined, you know, like it meant everything to me. Mm -hmm. So, um, it was, one, it was also like very much like itch that I need. Like I have like an idea for a product. I dreamed about it for at least 10 years before I actually did it. Like I had envisioned the brand. I envisioned the product lineup. I envisioned what exact like storefront in South Coast Plaza would be mine mm-hmm. and would be this brand. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and like what it would look like, what the lighting would look like, what the walls would look like, what the product would look like on the walls, like everything, everything. It was a long vision for me. So if you're thinking about it for 10 years, was there sort of like a, an inciting moment, something that actually happened that made it like, uh, I got to go now. The, I got to go now. I was so careful about, I got to go now. I was like, I, I've, what I, what happened was I discovered that I could like minimum viable product go now mm-hmm. at very little personal risk to myself not financial risk. And, you know, of course that was also an issue, but like it was the emotional risk for me. Mm -hmm. So I thought I can go, like I can dip my toe. Why don't I dip my toe in the water and see what this feels like? It took me, I want to say four years of therapy just to like get the self-confidence needed to actually make the move. Mm -hmm. And the move was, to launch four lipstick colors, mm-hmm. four lipsticks, and that's it. Did you already have a brand name at that point in time, or was it, did the product come first, or how did that how did that transpire? Well, yes, I had a brand name at that point. Uh-huh. Um, I had a brand name, and the first thing I did, well, I've, I actually went quite far down the branding journey, which is another, like, just something that I have a lot of passion for, which is graphic design and branding. So I went pretty far down the branding road with this brand name that mm-hmm. was going to be called known cosmetics. Okay. Spelled K N W N. And I went eventually, I was like, I think I need, you know, a trademark attorney. Right. Yeah. Like, right. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was very far. I had, we had, the product was already made at this point. Right. With uh, packaging? Packaging had not been manufactured, okay. but product had been prototyped. Right. Col- shades had been made. Mm-hmm. Formulas had been established. And I went to trademark known cosmetics. And what I found was if you try to trademark known cosmetics, you're going to get um, pushback from Estee Lauder because there was another company called Knowing Cosmetics that tried to launch 
or no, actually, no, it was called Known. It was another pro- a company called Known with the O intact, K N O W N, that tried to file for a trademark. Estee Lauder contested because they had a perfume called Knowing. And the trademark office isn't going to see KNWN as any different from KNOWN. And the last thing you want to do is, you know, start your company by fighting with Estee Lauder. Right. (laughs) Kind of a, maybe not the best thing to be known for, right? Coming out of the game. No, no. At least least you found out before you made, start, before you made packaging and launched. Of course. So that's that's good. There was, that's the silver lining and like the broken heart that I was living through, like during that time. Cause I was like, how, how will I ever re like come up with, I like, I thought that was the only brand I had in me. Right. So then I was wrong about that. So then how did you actually come up with, with your brand name? It was a, another like long process that happened. So then we got really deep in like very similarly to why known was the name that it was. And like Kosas also has the same roots that known had like known was more about knowing who it was really, it was, it was really about knowing who you are as a person as well as knowing what's inside your products. And Kosas is based on the, Sanskrit word koshas, which is the sheaths of the self. Like the, the Hindus see the self as an onion with layers, five layers. And your physical layer is just the outside layer. That's just one part of you. There's so much more to our beauty than just our physical layer. And so that's where kosas came from. And that's how kosas was How'd born. How'd you come up with that? Um... Like, really, it's it was really my cool. full-time job was to <laughs> find a brand name. <laughs> after you got that call yes. from the trademark attorney. After I got that attorney, call like, from the trademark yeah. attorney, exactly. Like, wait a second. It was it was months. Yep. And what? So just to anchor on a time period, what year was this? Twenty thirteen. Twenty thirteen. Okay. Yeah. And so you had mentioned before that formulation was already kind of done at that point in time. Can you walk us through what was the process of like? All right. So I want to actually make product like yeah. where'd you go after that that was a, t- a really tough thing to figure out because people who make products don't advertise themselves right that's kind of like what they that's supposed to be what they don't do so they were very difficult to find and so i was using like handy dandy google to try to find <laughs> people yep. and I, what i was finding was that no one was going to call me back or write me back like mm-hmm. that just wasn't going to happen so um i started to go a little deeper i was looking i mean i i also like live in the right place for such things but i was talking to a makeup artist in film and television who had personal friends who had started brands so i started to go that route which was to get like actual referrals referrals yeah and yeah yeah go ahead so in terms of the product actually did you have how sort of crystal clear did you was your perspective on what you wanted made crystal it's always crystal clear to me so (laughs) this is yes it's so it's so incredibly crystal clear to me that it's it's like can get kind of contentious with manufacturing it just did right before i walked into this room right now because like I see something so clearly and they don't see it and it's, you know, it can become a bit of an issue. So how'd you describe these first four items and, you know, how did you describe it to the manufacturer and then to the consumer? Why did, why did the world need another lipstick? Lipstick is the most uncomfortable, bad 
experience for a woman to wear like anything that was out there it is it feels bad it tastes bad it's incredibly uncomfortable I can liken it to like those like super high heels that are really narrow it's like what did you not have a foot like when you designed the (laughs) shoe you know so you uh, it's it's hard always to describe it to someone who doesn't wear lipstick Mm -hmm. which like most guys don't Mm -hmm. so you don't know what it feels like to put something on and then just have to taste it and feel it all day like that's so unfair to a woman and I know I knew that we could do better I learned that when I went to school so like my actually the like the whole pre-med experience turned out to be incredibly important on the journey because um, that's really what helps me describe because that's what helps me speak the same language as the people that I'm manufacturing with Mm -hmm. because I have to talk to like lab chemists that aren't really and that's also kind of causes some issues too, because they're not used to someone coming in and saying, like, I right. can clearly tell that like this like raw material is different or this ingredient is not this is not the path. There are many roads to Boston. Like I know you can try to tell me that there's just one way, but I know that there are, that's your way. Right. And I don't believe you. Mm-hmm. And so then there's that whole conversation, which is not always the best. So how many uh, out of curiosity, like labs or manufacturers did you have to go to before you actually settled on one that really got your vision just two i got really lucky nice yeah (laughs) um i think like a huge part of the journey is luck um and being in the right place at the right time and like being open to like good experiences happening that's also like a big part of my philosophy in running the company and like my own life personally but it was just the second one and i knew they were right for me because they didn't have a sales liaison. Like there wasn't, there was nothing in between me and the lab. Mm-hmm. And so it's like this, it's very similar to when I need to find a pediatrician for my kid, for example. Like I have to go in there and be like, look, like I'm going to be a problem. Like I know enough <laughs> that I'm going to make, the, yeah. I'm going to make this not that fun for you. Like right. I need you to be collaborative and not just try to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's how I chose them. And then how did you launch your brand product after you, you, you had it made? That's such a good question. I wanted to really like simplify everything that was around beauty. So from the packaging to the colors to like, so, you know, launching with a limited number of SKUs, um, launching on a website that had one page, like that was very intentional. Um, I didn't want to cause anyone to have to like dig for the information. I wanted it to be right there and really simple and easy to see. So I launched with a one page website. I launched online on to like the small number of people that I had as my own personal audience. Like we, it was a very like seriously just me operation at that point. And did you design the website yourself or did you, how did, how did that all happen? I designed the website myself. Nice. (laughs) Okay. Had you done something like that before? In a way I had, like in a way I had all these like weird skills that I had just collected over time, but I'd never been paid to do. (laughs) So like people would be like, are you a makeup artist? And I don't know how to answer that question because I've never been paid to do anyone's makeup before, but I've done a lot of people's makeup. Yep. So I don't know. Am I a makeup artist? You tell me. Like, am I a graphic designer? I don't know. I've graphic designed things. I've never been paid to do it, but mm-hmm. like I, I like read typography books and like I kind of know what it, how to do it. So, <laughs> yep. So yes, I designed it. No, I had never done that before. And then how did you get? 
So other than the, the, your friends that you told about the company, how did you get people to start start coming to the website? How did you get the company off the ground? I leveraged every single relationship I had ever made in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I sent product to anyone that I knew that even even if they didn't have you know even if they didn't have an actual audience, um, I let them still like. I was able to like beg and plead my way into exposure early on. And at that point in time, was it just you or did you have a small team or? No, it was just me. It was absolutely just me. <laughs> it started at the dining room table and yep. then it moved to the kitchen island, which is a little it's an bigger. upgrade right yeah. there. <laughs> and then it moved to a small room in my house. Yep. And then it's still like Kosas is in my back house now. Mm -hmm. It still remains there. Yeah. There's 10 people that work in the back house now. But yeah, it was it was just me and not even it was it probably took a few months before I even like had like one other person helping me. So what was the big break? The first the big breaks had to do with press. Yeah, those were the first big breaks. So it was like around October when we launched. So the first thing that was coming up was holiday. Was this 2013? This was 2015. 2015. Yeah. Okay. And we got placement in a gift guide in the San Francisco Chronicle. And that was the first, like, I mean, it was a tiny thing, but like, right. it wasn't to me at the time. Yeah. Was, was it, were you working with an agency or was this completely organic or how did that transpire? I was working with an agency. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Like I had the sense to get an agency yep. like right, right yep. off the bat. So, um, that was one thing that we did have. We did have PR. And did that end up driving traffic to the website or did that lead to a retailer relationship? That ended up driving traffic to the website, which eventually led to retailer relationships. Our retailer relationship journey was very much like, and I think Kosas is the right type of product for this based on the type of brand that it is, um, is very much the type that would attract the early adopter audience. Mm -hmm. So that's how our really retailer relationship started too. It was like those, those very like fringe early adopter type boutiques that like tend to like to discover, discover brands before everyone else has. And, how, and they, how did they find you and how do you get product to them? And was there one in particular that, that you feel like really helped, help launch you? I can't say, let me think about that for a second. Who helped? It was a series of press placements that happened after that initial one. Um, there was a New York times piece that came and those were really driving direct traffic for us. So, which is why, like, the heart and soul of Kosas is digitally native. Like, we are a direct-to-consumer brand. We started out that way. Um, I think that we, we made retailer relationships purely out of lack of marketing dollars. Like, we were allowing the right retailers to tell our brand positioning story, yeah. but not necessarily our brand story. Um, so, who are... I guess like there were certain like good wins along the way that have like really good editorial prestige, like Violet Gray, for example, or mm -hmm. Goop, for example, mm -hmm. people that could not only tell our brand story, but like not only tell our positioning story, but also tell our brand story like that had maybe an editorial arm to their business too. Um, and Revolve, like those are, those were wins for us in terms of like where our product sat and putting ourselves in front of the audience that we knew was our audience to begin with. And out of curiosity for sort of accounts like that or uh, influential publications like that, did you have entrenched relationships there or were those things that you developed over time? 100% developed over time. Like I, 
I think like George Clooney had an experience like this. Like he would go around auditioning for TV shows, like small parts in TV shows. And people were like, oh, whatever. Casting directors like, okay, George, like get out of here until one day he was famous. And then everyone wants to be George Clooney's best friend. Right. So, yes, I've had that experience of like people like shooing us away right and that now are like oh kosas like can we please have your product and i'm like you could have been nice from day one <laughs> <laughs> yeah so did you find what was a tipping point for that though like because you know with the someone like yeah. george Clooney, it, it's usually some type of of role on some meaningful show or movie or commercial yes. things of that nature what what's the tipping point for for you i will tell you the tipping point was our second product launch which it was, was what? Yeah. It was so we had eight lipsticks for almost two years. It was October 2015 that we launched. October 2017, we launched blush, six blush skews, two different formulas, cream blush and powder blush. Um, and that was like a meteoric tipping point for us. Like it was like one of those moments where our business doubled overnight. I think like I can't tell you exactly why. Um, but maybe it became we became like not a lipstick brand anymore right. and we became um a more large scale like sort of like oh okay you guys are really going to be like a color brand that covers the entire face and did you find cons- were your lipsticks consumers were they asking for blush or was that something that you already had planned as the next product evolution for your brand they weren't asking for blush but they were buying blush as soon as we launched it and so we saw that we had, well, we had a couple things because we, we launched with four lipsticks, then we launched four more. And that was also a bit of a tipping point, a smaller one. But we did see that we had a very loyal customer. So our customers were loving our lipstick formulas so much that they were collecting them. And that was like exactly what I wanted to have right. happen. Um, so when we launched Blush, they were like right there for us. It's our our current, like our audience, as small as it is, in comparison to some like bigger brands really matters to me because like they're, they're already love us. And so it's like for me to do a good job for that audience is the most important thing we can do because like we saw it, we saw it with the blush launch and then we saw it again with the tinted face oil launch. So I would say those, those like big key product launches have been like each individually massive tipping points for the company. And you mentioned the pain point of lipstick. What's what's the differentiation on blush? There is a pain point for almost every like makeup product <laughs> out there. Yep. Um, cream blush is something that I think everyone wants to like, but and says they use, but probably don't because it sounds cool to say you use it. But it's it's the type of product that. In any iteration I've ever seen before, it is so pigmented with the wrong like ratio of red pigments that the minute like one molecule of cream blush touches your cheek, it has stained that one spot and now you can't blend it and it's like ruined the makeup that's underneath it. Like to, you have to lay down a base, like a foundation, and then you'd have to lay down a cream blush on top of that and none of the cream blushes that exist make that possible. So... Number one, their colors are too saturated. Right. Like the, your, the color of your cheek versus the color of your lip like are two different things, which is why I don't really believe in lip-to-cheek products. They don't really work. Um, like something has to give in that situation. So, yeah, I didn't – there was a – like there's no other cream blush like Kosa's cream blush. 
it's like only formula like it. Same thing with our lipsticks. There's no, nothing else like it. And, and honestly, that's what I hear a lot of when, when people actually talk about your brand is just like the product is so incredible. Is that still at this point, is that purely you or is, is there someone else who's actually really focusing on product innovation and um, how does how does that actually work out in your organization? Yeah, that is purely me. Um, we have, of course, a director of operations who is involved in supply chain management. So that's an important part of the process, obviously. Um, but in terms of like actual product development, that's still on me. I'm trying to teach it a bit. Um, and I've had like product developers approach the company, but that's not really what we need right now. Mm-hmm. That's like, that's, that's the secret sauce. Right. I have to keep it. For well, you, and, and you <laughs> mentioned the 10 people in the back house, like what's the profile of the folks that you've gotten involved in the business? profile in terms of yeah was, like, was you, you seem to have a, a very specific vision on yeah. on product website how to launch did your team composition did you have a specific point of view going into that as well uh yes i we definitely have a specific point of view going into that as well so we we hit the major categories for me because i have a specific vision on creative it's important for me to have creative close to the company. So I don't love the idea of that's not something that I want to give to an agency. Mm-hmm. That's something that I need to keep in-house. Product development, again, that's another thing that people do outsource. We don't do that like I do that. Um, there's very little that we give away that's like important in terms of marketing, for example. Like our communication to our, our own customer needs to come from us. That's like what keeps our communication authentic. I I like to keep those things like really close to the vest because there it can get so like quickly homogenized like when we're sharing resources with other brands and then it just looks like what it is which is marketing right and it's not really like me telling you i made this right. for this reason right. me i made this like right. not anyone yeah. else um so we Oops. have a mix of sales, marketing, creative, and operations, like the things that we really do need to operate the business. We like are a very lean team and that's really important to us too. We, we sit in one room together. So, um, that's been a, like, that's been a big challenge. I think like when you're an entrepreneur, you have, for me, I mean, I don't, I can't speak for other people, but for me when I'm very product driven. So I like, there's something a little bit like detached about that I think like it's a little like robotic and scientific and that's not like necessarily the same thing as like relationship management or personality management which becomes a huge part of your job when you're running a company um so those have all been like adjustments that continue to be adjustments for us and how have you funded the business to date well we funded the business the business was entirely bootstrapped with like I'm very risk averse. That's a, a, like part of my personality profile. So I, which I probably wouldn't be, I, don't, I mean, I can't say that I would have approached it the same way again. If I were to like start a new brand, for example, I might be a little bit more um, lenient, but the company was bootstrapped for the first two years of its existence with very, very small funds. Mm-hmm. And then we, raised around recently which we closed in june okay and that was like a big sort of like difficult thing to do was that with the it, uh, another fund or was it with this uh, 
single yeah. human being who, who was it with? It was, with a, it was a combination of a fund. So it was majority of fund and then a list of strategic angels that I wanted to work with personally. So it was a little bit of, I guess, a non-traditional round. I, I didn't know that, but I've heard that <laughs> right. um, it's non-traditional to do that. But it was important for me to be able to work with the people that I wanted to work with. Um, and that has been a huge, I mean, huge change for us. Like it's, it's been, I, I guess I would call it like the unshackling of me Mm -hmm. to be able to actually like really tell the story that I wanted to tell from day one. Makes sense. And how did you go about, because you know, obviously from an entrepreneur perspective, this is, this is your first, it's not like you had a model or sort of a playbook to go by. How'd you go about educating yourself on, hey, this is the right time to raise funds and this is sort of the type of person or group that I should be talking to? How, how did that actually come to being? A combination of instinct and and some education and, um, again, like with the leveraging relationships, like if I knew someone who had done anything like this before, I was talking to them. They're, like I, I also like happened to have some like really good contacts that helped me along the way. Like there are things, things like this, like I think are important to talk about because, um, I didn't have chances as a child growing up. Like they didn't, but I got them later, you know, like I did, I did happen to be born and raised in California, you know, like I did, I do happen to live in LA. I do happen to have like a network of people that like, the average person might not have access to. And like those things make a difference. Like that's, that's an advantage. That's unfair. It's not fair, but it's a reality, but it's a reality. Yeah. So yes, like I had access to like some of the like, you know, biggest people that had done things like (laughs) this, um, in like both tech and consumer goods that were able to advise me along the way. And then from here, where do you see the brand going? You know, you, you've mentioned direct to consumer and boutiques. Will you enter larger big box prestige like Sephora and Ulta? And what would be the timing? And what would that look like? Is that part of the is that part of the strategy? Yeah, that's definitely part of the strategy. And the reason for that is because women shop for makeup in stores like Sephora and Ulta. So. I like to do everything from a behavior perspective. And that's like, that's the secret behind the product development too, is that like, I don't really look at the product. I first look at the woman, like let's, let's look at the real people and what the people are doing and be there for them. And women are shopping for makeup in Sephora because they don't really have like a lot of other options, honestly. And, um, I shop for makeup in Sephora too. So I'd like to make our product as accessible as possible. I'm, I'm open to even bigger retailers than, than that, you know, like that are maybe more mass in their reach because it's an access point, you know, like I don't want to hide Kosas from people. I am not like um, so obsessed with prestige that I'm unwilling to put my product in a place that isn't like approved by the highest of the holiest, like fashion magazines you know so, so do you mean like a, a target or a walmart right at some point for example yeah. i mean i think those are two very different retailers from each other but yeah. yes like for example something like that but absolutely um i'd like to have Kosas accessible but i think like what i don't ever want to let go of is 
the responsibility of, and when I say direct to consumer, like, okay, yes, that can mean like going on Kosas.com and like shopping for lipstick there. But like what it really is, is it's an attitude being on the brand. And that is why I would consider myself, even if like we were selling to Sephora, Ulta, Target, and Walmart, like still the storytelling when you go on Kosas.com or like via our own personal marketing, we need to be telling our brand story because every retailer has to tell their brand story. And so we're now filtering it through numerous like sort of filters and we want to be able to be the ones that are directly having that conversation makes sense right after the break we'll be back with our guest kosas cosmetics founder and ceo sheena yatanis unfinished biz is a vmg partners production you can find us at unfinishedbiz.com and theoretically on twitter at unfin underscore biz subscribe to our podcast for free on itunes or any podcast app of your choice have feedback for us want to leave us five stars do it. And now <laughs> let's get back to our episode with Kosas Cosmetics founder and CEO, Sheena Yatanis. Have you had a bet the company moment yet? I have not really fully. I would say the closest to a bet the company moment that I had was in the fundraising process. Um, because like it was like up up until like the day we closed, like I was still asking myself because in order to actually raise the round, I, we got very organized as a company and forecasted and planned financially, like so far into the future and so precisely and specifically that like, I was able to really like see how this was going to unfold now. And so I had numerous times of sitting there with my husband being like, I I now know exactly what the financial trajectory (laughs) is going to look like. (laughs) Should we just do this ourselves? And the only reason I didn't do that was like, because of the reach, you know, it was really the, like the non financial value add that I wanted access to. And that was the only reason, but yes, like that was like, it was a, I was sitting on the fence of that decision up until the last moment. I mean, it's pretty early in the journey, but is there a particular high point that stands out? I would say a big high point was for me, the launch of Tinted Face Oil and the reception of that launch because I thought it was an, it was one of those products that I was like, either people are going to love this or they're going to be like, God, this is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and so it was really scary. And like when, when I started to get the positive feedback, it was like really, that was a really wonderful high point. And it continues to be because we continue to get positive feedback on that. It's not, it's not easy being an entrepreneur. Is there a low point that stands out in your mind as well? There are like daily highs and lows. I mean, every day. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that fundraising was like overall, I would not call it a fun time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Obviously, that wasn't with us, Rob, <laughs> you know, because... People always tell us it's a lot of fun with us. I don't know. She was looking directly at me. So, <laughs> I don't know. No. The thing is, I love the people I work with. It wasn't them. Yeah. It was. It's just the process, process itself. It's, so, it's a scary it's, process. Yeah. It's like a, a pro, like an, a probing, like yeah. really, yeah, not good times. And it's it's such a it's such a I don't even a stacked like relationship in the sense that oftentimes the entrepreneur it's like the first time they've ever done it. Yeah. And then the people on the other side do this for a living. And so there's like this weird asymmetry already where yes. 
you know, you just you, you can't help but be paranoid. Like I think if I put myself in a founder's or position, or just be taxing. Yeah, you're you know? just kind of like, oh, this is you know, I, I I don't know what I don't know, and unfortunately, since I don't do this all the time, I don't know a lot, and so I, I can see how I can see how that's always a tough yes a tough place to be. Totally, and like I'm not the type of person who likes to like I don't like ambiguous pricing you know like I don't like buying a car for example I'm like can it just be the same price for everybody like I like to go and see the price tag and that like I don't I always feel like if it's any other way like I'm not going to get a good deal in the process because like I'm going to be the guy who didn't like go to bizarre school and like I don't know how to like <laughs> really grind you down right you know? right so I, I that I feel very much like that in that process it's very tricky that's our advice. We, we should do all of our investments on one, a single price methodology. <laughs> Full transparency. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Go ahead. Um, so what, what keeps you up at night now? Okay. Let me tell you something about sleep. Yeah. <laughs> it's the most important thing in the world to me. So I don't... How many hours do you think it's important? Um, eight, to eight, eight at least eight. I feel the same way. Yeah it's like hugely important to me. So I have like a whole entire lifestyle surrounding sleep. Mm -hmm. So I don't lose, if I'm losing sleep, like we have a huge problem. (laughs) (laughs) I, I really try not to let that happen. Wayne, you talk about getting eight hours of sleep all the time. Actually, yeah. I mean, I completely agree with Sheena. I mean, it's a running joke between me and my wife on If I'm going to bed past 8.30, I'm on the wrong side of 8.30 because sleeping for eight hours, I mean, all the research has shown if you want to be on top of your game, you get eight. And honestly, Sheena's got such clarity of vision. She knows exactly what she wants to do with her business. She's been really measured in her approach. She's been very thoughtful about it. And honestly, outside of work, Sheena enjoys the simple things in life, and she's the first to admit it. I like enjoy all the littlest things in the world. So like being inside my house is one of the most fun things for me. Like turning on the fireplace in the morning is Mm -hmm. a hugely fun thing for me. I inject it through like every moment in my life. I don't fireplace. You live in LA. I, were you thinking yes. the same thing? I was thinking the same thing, but then I was like, you know what? I mean, it's, yeah, it's I mean, nice. I'm like, yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah. Because it's very cold in the morning. Yeah. Guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's not, that's not something you get to enjoy year round. So it's like those few cold in the morning months. Like I'm all about that. Like, yeah. That's right. Uh, uh, like putting like cuticle oil on, on a Sunday and watching I Love Lucy is like the most enjoyable thing I could do for myself. So yes, like I watch friends and I watch. <laughs> And I watch I Love Lucy and I like to watch like romantic comedies that have like no higher than a 50 on Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> and, uh, and Sleepless in Seattle. I, I like that's I like your style. That's acclaimed. Yeah. I, I was nodding. <laughs> yeah. along. It's, it's crazy. My wife and I like we literally have friends on this perpetual loop because we can kind of work through it. But it's also yeah. enjoyable. I think we're like on loop number seven or eight at this point. It's insane. It's and insane. that's a lot because yes. I don't even know how many seasons there are. There are 10. I watch all 10 and then I start it over. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm it's on almost like I'm this, on season one right now. Crazy. Where are you at? We're on season four. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how, I'm, but I don't know which time. No, so, who knows? I know. Yeah. Well, it's time for our signature game. You see the okay. papers coming out like a little, little crinkle here. So it's, it's one minute. Get through as many questions as you can. These are really serious, hard-hitting questions. I'm okay. <laughs> um, just kidding. But um, if you can't think of something, just say pass. But just we're, we're going to go right at it. Rob, you, are you ready? I'm ready. Robin, Let's, you ready? Let's do it. All right. 
cat person or dog person? Dog. West Coast or East Coast? West Coast. Uh, what's your go-to alcoholic beverage? Red wine. Favorite sports team? The, none. <laughs> <laughs> Biggest pet peeve? Like really bad smells. Favorite superhero? Batgirl. Most influential person in your life? My daughter. One place you want to travel right now? The Maldives. If you could trade lives with one person in the world for a day, who would it be? No one. Biggest fear? Spiders. (laughs) What's your favorite (laughs) book? The 40 Rules of Love. Most embarrassing moment? Oh my God, there's way too many. Sorry, there's just too many. (laughs) (laughs) What are you most proud of? My daughter. If you had a time machine, where's the one event or period of time you'd travel to? You know that place in the 20s? I'm sorry. This is like not, I'm ruining your rapid fire no, game. <laughs> the 20s. The, the 20s, final, 20s, answer, final answer. Okay, Paris, 20s it is. Paris in the 20s. Go. Nice. How do you like your steak cooked? Medium rare. Do you have any tattoos? If so, of what? Yes. What kind of question is this? I don't really know. I'm, reading, do I'm just reading from a paper. Yes, I have one, and it's um, my own birthday in Roman numerals because it's the only thing that can never change. Ah, I like that. What's your Wi-Fi password? <laughs> I can't tell you that. <laughs> Favorite pizza topping? Uh, black olives. <laughs> All right, last question. What's your advice for aspiring entrepreneurs? My biggest advice is to have like a really strong and grounded philosophy for life, like all of life as you live it um, before anything else because like it's that it's like business follows life anyway and I think it's really important to know who you are as a person like really fully have like a very well constructed inner matrix of who you are before jumping into being an entrepreneur because you're going to have a lot of responsibilities and like people are going to be looking to you to answer questions like that so it's you better know who you are first well Sheena thank you so much for joining us on unfinished biz thanks guys You've been listening to Unfinished Biz. I'm Robin. And I'm Wayne. We'll be back on our next episode with GT Dave, founder and CEO of GT's Kombucha. The delightful, well, depending on who you ask, fermented beverage credited with all sorts of health benefits. GT launched the kombucha beverage wave in a way yeah, you just don't hear about that often. And it wasn't without a dramatic setback or three along the way. Hey, this is Unfinished Biz after all. We are farmers. So... The science behind making kombucha is candidly no different than the science of growing an apple or a tomato. And you have those same risks, right? If you aren't careful with the apple or tomato, you can get somebody sick. That's next time on Unfinished Biz. Unfinished Biz is a VMG Partners production. You can subscribe to our show for free in any podcast app of your choice. Send us questions, comments, and feedback on Twitter at unfin underscore biz and visit us at unfinishedbiz.com.